Welcome to Small Business Big Impact. These are lessons from the trenches of running a business with a multiple bottom line. Purpose, people, planet, and profit. Get the inside scoop on what it takes to succeed at using business as a force for good. Vishi Jagannathan is the co-founder of the Rural Opportunity Institute, ROI. After starting her career as a high school science teacher in North Carolina, she spent two years expanding Microsoft's Teal's Computer Science Education Program into California. Then she worked with the design firm IDEO to develop RealTalk, a mobile sex education app with over 10,000 downloads. After graduating from Yale School of Management with her MBA in 2017, she co-founded the Rural Opportunity Institute with Seth Soigling. ROI builds the capacity of rural opportunities to support people's healing from generational trauma to achieve health, safety, connection, and self-determination. Organizations often respond to people who are experiencing traumatic events with punishment and isolation. ROI supports organizations to replace these punitive practices with restorative ones that allow people a chance to heal. They partner with school districts, first responders, public agencies, and community-based organizations on resilience-building initiatives. The success of ROI quickly launched Vichy into the position of having staff. She found that running a business demanded very different skills than those needed to get it started. Listen to Vichy share her experience of learning how to run a business like a boss. Vichy, we were talking before about your journey with your project. And one of the topics that came up was the idea of being a boss. Like, you know, so many times, you know, we hear in our culture, like this sort of statement, like, did it like a boss. And there's like this, this huge accomplishment, like that's a status symbol uh, that you're, you're rocking it. And, but being a boss is a lot of different things. And so I'm curious about like why it was this, um, this is a topic that you're really wanting to share. It's interesting because I think all the a lot of the other connotations of boss, it's like, oh, you know, for me, founding my own business, you know, having a lot of early success, raising money, like those things all happened for me in our organization early on. And it, you know, we're it felt to me like on a really good path. And I think the logical next step in my mind was like okay, we're growing, we have more resources, we're having impact, let's hire more staff so that we can do more of this. Initially, basically, you know, I think the thing that I wanted to kind of touch on here is just that I, I think the skills that I had built and learned in order to start and grow a business aren't necessarily the same ones that you need to hire and manage people and help them grow. And I totally underestimated that. And so I think for me, this idea of getting people excited and finding people who were aligned to our work and wanted to work for us, that part happened. And so the first couple of jobs that we posted, there's a lot of interest and people, the people that I interviewed, I was very humbled by how how much they believed in the work that we were doing. I think the part that I didn't anticipate was as people, you know, got into the jobs that they were hired for and got more and more excited very often I and my colleagues would, you know, keep giving them new projects and new things and like, oh, okay, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And we weren't really supporting people to build the skills that they need to be successful in those new projects. And after a while, you know, things just got really messy. And so I think in reflection, it was like, we were, I was really excited to hire and we did that really quickly. And we had some very committed people on board, but just totally was not equipped to support them. Um, and I, I suspect that that happens to a lot of business owners in the early going. 
yeah, being that kind of boss <laughs> might actually require uh, quite a different skill set. And I think that's something that I'm now starting to think about, like, how do I build that for myself before trying to uh, be a solid employer for others? Can you take us back to a moment in time that kind of is like a, an epitome of, of the pain point there, like the, the, the challenge that you experienced and the moment when you thought, oh, God, this isn't, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go? I have a really specific, it is really like a specific memory that comes to mind. One of these folks that we had hired early on, her role was sort of a lot of behind the scenes coordination of different programs we're doing. She crushed that. And she got really interested and excited about the programs themselves and asked, I think, oh, you know, could I organize one? Could I organize one in the community and run for a specific idea that she was excited about? And kind of without thinking, I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, like you should have the opportunity to be in these leadership positions. And so she, you know, did all the planning. I had some amount of visibility into it, hosted the event. And then I remember it was on like a Friday and I talked to her on Monday and said, oh, by the way, how did the event go? And she was like, oh, actually, um, you know, only one person showed up. So it's kind of a bummer. We had, you know, I had bought all this food and booked this space and had some other people come in to help support. And then we just had the one person, but, you know, I had a great conversation with her, but, you know, it wasn't exactly what I expected. And I mean, one, I remember thinking, yikes, that's not the best outcome for that event. But I also, from the, when I look back on it now, from that day onwards, there was a shift in this person's whole demeanor towards our work. It was like she had always been excited and proactive. And after that, I could tell it was more like, okay, let me just like get in and do my responsibilities and go and not take any more risks or chances. And that really was the start of the end. Like shortly after that, you, you know, she ended up leaving and yeah, in reflection, I just thought if I could have supported her, if we could have set her up better for something like that and more gradually build up to running an event like that all on her own. I suspect that she eventually could have been in the position of doing those things, but instead it was just kind of like, you're excited, go do this thing. And then when it didn't go well, none of us were really there to help. Mm, ouch. What decisions or choices did you make after that? That sort of I, Have you been able to shift that? that approach or that, your experience around that? Yeah, it's a good question. We are getting there. I would say I haven't learned, not haven't learned as quickly, but it just has so many layers. Like, it, so one of the things I've tried to do differently is get clearer about the growth trajectory for a role. So rather than just saying, okay, right now we're hiring for a person to do these three things. Also thinking like in a year, what might they end up having to do? And maybe in three years, would, do, we want, do we hope that they stay? And if so, what would they grow into? And then, you know, either, I think it's a balance, either trying to find candidates who already have a lot of those skills so they could, you know, more easily move up through those stages or ensuring that we have a plan in place to build those skills. Maybe it's sending somebody to a training or partnering them with some sort of mentor, um, and I think there, there are now, like, for example, one success story, we um, hired a great director of operations. Um, she has been amazing. And recently we've been talking about uh, openly with her, like, what do the steps look like to transition to chief operating officer? Um, but not, you know, I think past me 
would have been like, oh, you're excited about that role? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. You know, let's just change your job title in six months and give you all those responsibilities because you're crushing the current role you have. But now we're actually going through and saying, okay, what new skills would you need to build to succeed in that role? And, you know, we're pairing her with a coach, getting some training. And then we have a timeline of, okay, by, you know, in 18 months or whatever it is, if you hit these milestones, you will transition to this role. And that's been neat, A, because we have a kind of plan in place to build someone that we already know into that role. But also I feel like the director of operations approaches the work differently, knowing that they're getting this opportunity to grow and advance Whereas if they were to take another job, they may, you know, it may or may not work out the same way. Well, it sounds like you're finding a way yourself or you and some others to make a transition from, initially you talked about, you know, the skills that were needed in order to, to get the organization going are different than, than to maintain it, which is, that is so common, right? It's so common because uh, they're very, very different skill sets sounds like you're finding a way to make a transition to, to sustain a business. And is that something that you have done mostly on your own? Or like, how did you, how have you been navigating that? That, that is a good way to characterize kind of where we are in development. So I am fortunate to have a co-founder, Seth. And so Seth and I started Rural Opportunity Institute together. And then now that was 2017. And so now we're a full-time team of four with some additional part-time staff. So that's like some of our growth. But yes, I mean, I think one way we've made the transition is the hard way and sort of making some mistakes like the ones I described. You know, we we obviously saw the need to, or we're starting to realize that two of us weren't going to be able to continue to operate what we had started. And the logical thing was like, we need to hire people. So I think we recognize the stage, but like I said, underestimated just all the things that it requires and not just in terms of hiring, actually, in a lot of other areas as well. What has started to work now that we've realized that is um, partnering for a short amount of time with experts who have led that type of transition before. Um, and it's actually surprising the number of folks who have a ton of skills are in oftentimes executive leadership at their jobs who are interested and willing to do a couple of hours of consulting with a nonprofit or a small business like ours. So we've started to kind of use our networks to say, does, who, who, does, who do people know that is awesome at hiring, you know, the first couple of executive hires for a startup? And at, from asking that question, we got connected to this amazing uh, talent consulting group who almost explicitly does um, early stage executive hires for nonprofits and social enterprises. And in, we probably did no more than 10 coaching sessions with them. And they, you know, it's funny. You're like, oh, how will we ever solve this? And they're like, well, I've actually coached 50 organizations through this process. So this is what you should do. You know, she was able to show us job descriptions for directors and chief operating officers. She's able to help us see what are the skill gaps. She could introduce us to people that can build those skills. Um, she connects us to other organizations that are in the same stage who can tell us about their experience. Um, and so it's really been now that we see it kind of recognizing that although we may not have the expertise, there's a lot, lot, lot of people who have already been through this and they are surprisingly willing to help. That's amazing. What, what is this group? 
Yeah, so the talent group is called O4, O-F-F-O-R, and the specific consultant we work with is Regina. Um, they, yeah, they're super neat. They are, I think, an all women of color team, or at least majority. Um, and so not only are they excellent in hiring, but they're also really helpful about equitable hiring. They helped us, you know, get a broad pool of folks. They helped us with compensation policies and how to make that fair. So yeah, just like a ton of expertise. Sounds, sounds like an incredible resource. Yeah. And so do you find that with the benefit of these people, uh, that this, this insight and consulting that you and your partner are growing yourselves laterally in, into these roles or are you looking to just get them filled by other people? Yeah, I think ultimately I am realizing that, you know, one person or two people just cannot, we cannot do it all. And one of the things, I can't remember who said it, but uh, we talk about it a lot in the talent space is just understanding what people's zone of genius is and really doubling down on that instead of trying to become a genius at everything. And so particularly for people who start an organization, I think that's a very specific zone of genius. Like there's some specific things that you need to be good at to do that. And they aren't really that well suited to a lot of other aspects of business. Um, and so in the short term, I think Seth and I are, you know, trying to fill in the gaps, like, okay, we need to make these first few hires. Let's figure out how to do that. And, you know, let's figure, build some skills in managing folks and get better at that. But I think ultimately the goal would be to cultivate internally or find people who that's their zone of genius and they're interested in working with us. And it's like, let's put them in place, have a team around us of just geniuses at different things. And then, you know, it doesn't have to all depend on me and him. We have some role to play, but then how do we equip the, you know, ops geniuses and talent geniuses and marketing and all that to grow into those roles to build out our org. So that's the vision. We are obviously not quite there, but I think knowing that also has helped us shift a little from not just looking for people who are excited to work with us, but really trying to find folks who have zones of genius in the areas that we most need support. You worked with uh, before to find some of those people and establish what some of the pathways were to like, get them, get those people in place, uh, leaning on them as well to try to get a sense of like, well, how to, how to chart your way forward in terms of building out your staff. Yeah, they've been super helpful. That's kind of the conversation we're currently having with them, actually. One of the things that's been interesting to think about is, um, and this is related to the talent managing piece, is a lot of times in management structures, you end up with um, like CEOs or, or those type of level people who are expected to be good at managing people and very good at strategy or execution of the area. So your chief marketing officer is supposed to be awesome at marketing strategy and also awesome at managing other marketing professionals. And in speaking with O4 and also just in our own reflection, I think that is very rare. And even Seth and I in reflection are realizing we're not that great. We could build the skills, but we're not that great at managing people. We're pretty strong at organizational strategy. We've been able to obviously create a business model and grow that, but that doesn't really at all overlap with what it takes to coach people. Um, and so what we've been talking about a bit with O4 and just in general is 
could you build an org chart where those roles are actually separated out? So potentially there's a team of people that do strategy work and their support to other people in the organization is around strategy and problem solving. But there's also, uh, O4 calls it, or they, you know, when we talk with them, they call it an integrator, like a person whose job is more specifically on the people side. And they aren't necessarily providing strategic guidance to folks or, you know, working with them, whiteboarding a project, but they are keeping track of their growth, helping them meet their goals, uh, setting the culture and the feel and having an ear to the ground in terms of like, how are people progressing and feeling about their roles? And that person is different from the strategy team. And that, right. I, don't, I feel like there aren't a ton of models of that. So we're not really playing off some sort of playbook, but it feels right. And so that discussion is what we're currently having of, you know, what would that look like? And then what does the specific skill set need to be of the integrator or integrators maybe? And where do we find those people where that's their zone of genius? It sounds like kind of a, a coaching model. Yeah, it is sort of separating out the coaching from the like project management. Right, and right. And on that skill set. Yeah. Huh. When you talked about like what the, what could the org chart look like, that, that's something that's still kind of like forming right now, huh? Yeah. So we, like I said, we're a team of four now and we do have a large part-time staff, which also I think is an interesting, well, it's an interesting thing that we did and perhaps are outgrowing. Um, but with that, it's a relatively flat org structure, I would say. And I think what we found is like currently the people that do the best are fairly self-managed because most of us don't have a lot of that coaching expertise. And I don't think that's where we want to ultimately get to. Like, I think we want to be an org where people can come in, not necessarily having built every skill, but can feel like they're supported and grow and stay for a long time. I don't think we're that org right now. Um, and that's, you know, we're doing great at that size, but in order to get there, I think the structure needs to change. I mean, I think you already sort of spoke to this, but look, what do you feel like your next step is in, in developing this organization? On the talent side, I think the next step really is getting clear on the what the skills and role of this integrator look like and finding finding that person or people. And then I mean, I think from there, we're starting to see basically a lot of inefficiency in a lot of different areas. Uh, and so I think with that person and potentially some other really expert consultants, then trying to hone in on what are the things that we're doing that maybe uh, are easy to do, but not super helpful to the organization. And then what are the things we're avoiding doing or not doing because they're difficult, but critical and really finding the right folks whose zone of genius is that. So trying to build a team that's more uh, like specific and targeted on the next steps of our business rather than, you know, kind of this very hodgepodge large group of folks currently working on things, but not necessarily in the most like strategic or aligned way. Hmm. Really sounds like a, a very creative process. It's like, it's because there isn't a template out there and it seems like you're having to like try to, sculpt it. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of things. I mean, that's part of the fun, I think, of starting your own business. I remember when Seth and I started it, one of the things we wrote down was we wanted to build a work environment that we love working at. And so it's come up a lot. And as the team grows, it continues to come up where everybody has like a worst job story 
Uh, I hated my old job because they did X or they did Y. And it's surprising how much of that stuff there is. So it's almost like at every turn when we get the chance to take a step, that comes up. We're like, ah, well, I hated at my old job how it was super hierarchical. And I had this manager who like never had time for me. So then we're like, okay, well, let's not do that. But then you find out that lots of jobs are like that. So what what does it look like to be different? Or, oh, you know, I hated, yeah, everyone's got, I hated my last job story. And so we're really, I think the sculpting is really trying to be intentional about that and saying, okay, what needs to be different to not replicate that? And very often there isn't a playbook or it's hard to find the other folks who are thinking that way. So if we want to come back to the whole concept of being a boss <laughs> in this moment, what would you say, what are the ingredients or the experience of being a boss at this point for you? <laughs> so my takeaway is I don't want to be one. Um, no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, but yeah, I guess I think that it, it sort of starts with asking a question of what kind of boss. And it might be true that we can be a boss at some things at some moments, but maybe something changes or the organization grows. And, you know, I at least don't feel like I'm still the person that should be the boss in that situation. And so I think a lot of it for me has been rather than assuming like, oh, I was the boss then, I should be that forever. Really taking a step back and saying, you know, what, what does the organization need right now? And who has that? And what's my role? Maybe it isn't boss. Maybe it's the person over here that thinks about strategy and then funnels that up to the boss who can support the rest of the team. Right. And also, I mean, from what you're saying, it also sounds, it's a question, it's like the boss of what, mm -hmm. right? Because there are all these different areas that need attention and need, need to be served. And something I'm coming away with is like, there's this clear recognition within your organization that, that needs need to be met. And that's the most important thing. And I wonder as a founder, do you feel yourself sort of aligning in a particular place? Like, do, what do, you, do you have a sense of the, the most important things that you have to continue to bring to the organization as it evolves? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, my zone of genius has always been strategy. And so it's easy for me to see kind of programmatically what the organization needs to do next. You know, we need to grow in these ways. We need to expand to new geographies. You know, I can tell oftentimes, you know, which programs we should continue doing, maybe things we need to stop doing. Um, that feels like, especially at this stage where we're kind of growing from a new startup to more of operating at a larger scale, I have a ton of energy around thinking through that part. And I think that actually like one thing that's kind of held us back is that in order to realize those visions, we do need more capacity and more talent. But because we, because it's been me and Seth doing that, and we've had so many stumbling blocks, it's like made it hard to be able to make progress on the strategic part because we're constantly coming back to say, oh, wait, we're not the right person in place for this, but this is a mess. You know, we need to figure that out. So I'm energized by the world where there are folks working on that so that it can kind of create the foundation for me and, you know, other folks who are working on strategy to think about what we want to do next in terms of our actual programs. One of the things that is often seen as being a role of leadership is holding the vision, holding and communicating the vision. Is that something that that is 
present or that is that just an assumption? Yeah, yeah. I think that is, I think both Seth and I have aspects of kind of co-creating and holding and communicating and just getting people on the same page about the vision. And I think that has gotten harder. That's another piece that I probably underestimated as you grow a team, making sure that everybody has a shared understanding of that isn't really an assumption you can make. And there's so much history and unsaid stuff in our heads that a lot of times, you know, we think, of course, like everyone knows all this stuff and then someone will do something and ask us like, oh, why do we always do it this way? And I'm like, oh, that's a good question, actually. Like, I don't know, just because we always have. So in many ways, I think that's a, that is an important role and it's a growing one. If we think about doing more work in more places with more people of really not just holding it in our own heads, but getting clearer about extracting that and saying it and building buy-in among people about what it is. And so now that you've gone through all the journey that you have, you have a sense of how, where you're where you're trying to go now. Is there anything that you would offer an, a younger organization that's sort of heading to where you are? Any tips or words of wisdom that you like to offer? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I would say is to really get clear on people's zones of genius. Like even the people already on board, what are like rather than expecting everyone to get good at everything, what do the people already on the team have extreme strengths in and how can you help them grow into roles where they're doing more of that and then identifying, okay, they might be okay at something. Maybe they're currently doing it, but they're not, that isn't the thing that really lights a fire. Those are the areas where you want to be cultivating future talent. And I think recognizing that and having those, even if you're not hiring or ready to hire, just kind of having those conversations to understand currently, like where do people want to grow into? And then what holes is that going to leave can help just focus the talent conversation early. So you aren't in the position where uh, you suddenly realize you need a marketing person tomorrow and then it rushes the whole process or somebody on the team plugs in the gap. And that's like where the challenges start. Um, but I think the more we've had conversations early about people's strengths, like a people love exploring that it's really energizing to learn that you're, you know, above average strong at something and, and to imagine a world where you're doing that more, but it also, you know, helps us easily see, okay, there isn't, although this person is doing this probably in the future, that's not going to be their job. So we're going to need to think about that. Have you found any particular uh, approach to identifying people's zone of genius to be more effective? Yeah, we've tried a lot of things. So we've used a lot of those, uh, you know, online quizzes and stuff like uh, Finder. Finder, yeah, there's a DISC, D-I-S-C assessment. Um, there's actually a, some kind of tool that tells you if you're, uh, they break it into like visionary or integrator. And that's kind of where the integrator term I think comes from. So we've done a bunch of these different ones. I think what's more helpful, like any of them is fine. And I think oftentimes what ends up being the most helpful is pairing that with hearing people's self-reflections. Because I like once it tends to be, I feel like, like once people have taken the quiz and read everything, it's going to be obvious. Like it'll jump out to them of like, what? It thinks I'm good at this. I hate that. Or like, here's all the times I've struggled, but this, like this, I'm awesome. Like here's all the time. I think it's, it's more like a starting point, but once that's there, it almost creates the, it gives people permission to really start to speak upon, okay, I can say, I'm allowed to say in this space what I think I'm really good at. And it's not gonna be me bragging. It's not like I have a big ego. Like we are all taking this quiz and talking about it. 
Um, it's also okay for me to say the quiz said I'm good at this, but I hate it. And maybe I wouldn't have said that before. So I, I think the tools, there's a ton of them, um, but we've had really good results, even if it's just an hour of like having people do those things and then come together for an hour and just share what were their reactions to it? You know, what do I feel like resonates? What do I feel like doesn't? Where would I like to grow? And it's like, from that, you get a ton of information, both about individuals, but also the rest of the team starts to understand like, okay, this is kind of who I can call on for different things. And so do you have those conversations? Like at this point, are you having those conversations at, at the hiring point or what, what point are you having them? That's a great question. Yeah, we have started to ask um, like finalist candidates to submit one of those results. And it's it's a topic of discussion in the interview. And I think that gives us some sense of just sort of people's openness. You know, are they open to this way of thinking? Um, do they, you know, have a growth mindset about uh, different skills and kind of believe that very everybody has a strength and it might vary? Um, but really where it happens more so is like with the team currently. We do quarterly reflection. Um, part of that is on performance, you know, people set goals. We look at all that stuff and, and look at our business, you know, the state of the business. But there is a part of that that's more so personal. And in those places we do, you know, some discussion of strengths. If there's new team members, you know, they have a chance to hear from people and share and then also talk about uh, just kind of shared feedback. Other people, other people will share kind of where they see teammates really glowing and showing up. And then they might also share suggestions for, you know, areas of growth. And that is like an ongoing discussion. So if somebody in one quarter kind of names a strength that they want to grow into, everybody else in the team can now start thinking like, okay, where do I see that happening? And in the following quarters can offer, hey, you said this last time, and I really noticed you stepping up in these ways. And, you know, I came across this conference that might be good for you to attend. You could learn how to do this additional skill. So it comes up, we kind of do it consistently because I think it's always an ever-changing conversation. Uh, it does start at the interview, but it's more more once you're within, I think. And it sounds like you're having like the, like a collective open conversation about this, not not a like formalized 360 assessment. Yeah, we haven't, I think there, this is another thing that people hate about their jobs. What, what, what did people hate about their old jobs? Performance reviews. Like everybody hates that. And they're like, somebody once said performance reviews are just an excuse, like a way to justify firing people. And <laughs> ever since somebody said that, we have been like, ooh, let's not do that. I think in, in one sense, like we haven't done that. So we have a lot of sort of open qualitative um, conversations that are more like truly reflective. And I think we could do more of the performance tracking and reflection, not necessarily, like I don't want to re replicate the documentation to fire people habit, but at the same time, I think that is part of this idea of supporting people to hit milestones to grow. And we're not, we don't quite have that system in place yet. Um, although it's something that we've been talking about. So hopefully we can get there. Right. So the interesting thing will be to see, like, as you, as you continue to grow, how can you keep the same level of open sharing and exploration? Because that sounds like a, that sounds like an important ingredient uh, for your group right now. Definitely, yeah. That's like a I think a key part of the culture, and it does get tricky. Like as you grow and put in more systems, how do we preserve that and also try to alleviate p 
people just come in with a lot of fear from old jobs of like they're always on the chopping block. And anytime, if I say anything, if I admit any sort of vulnerability, if somebody gives me feedback, that does that mean I'm going to be fired? And so really trying to make it safe that that's not why we're doing this is, mm. is, is something that I think we need to figure. It's a balance that we need to figure out. Yeah. That, that making it safe, that that's a, that's a huge thing because, you know, people's income are on the line or their, their investment in what they're doing is on the line. Right. And um, so I have, I'm guessing how you're contributing to make it safe, but like, what are you doing? I think in some ways it has been by showing it. Um, there's been a couple of times it's happened where somebody, somebody on the team has shared something with, you know, their manager, me or Seth or whoever. Uh, one example would be uh, someone shared that they, uh, I guess, yeah, there's a lot, but we'll go with this one. They, uh, a couple of years ago, asked us why we weren't uh, observing Juneteenth. This is like before it was a national holiday. Um, and then, you know, they're like, oh, I noticed you're not observing it. And I think you really should for these reasons. And it was a couple of days before Juneteenth, like three or four, maybe. And we, you know, Seth and I, we had a quick talk about it. And then we were like, yeah, let's, uh, we should observe it. So we just emailed out everyone and we were like, hey, you know, someone brought this to our attention. We're observing the holiday and, and pulled, you know, did some research on kind of different messages to use and stuff. And I remember them coming back and saying like, wow, I didn't, I've never worked at a place where I could give a suggestion like that and actually have them listen and do something about it so quickly. Like she was like, I genuinely didn't think you were going to do anything. I just felt that I needed to say it. And she was like, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to get in some sort of trouble for that. Um, But I just said it anyway. And I was like, wow, that to me, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, But that sort of stuff comes up a fair amount where I think they, people are genuinely skeptical and they should be, and we have to prove it. Like we can say it all the time. Oh, we're safe. And it's okay. You can do this. You can do that. But you know, for good reason, again, I think people have their guard up and it isn't until we consistently demonstrate that we mean what we say that folks start to believe it. And then I think as there are more and more people on the team who are buying in, then it sort of, you know, becomes this shared thing. So new folks come in and they don't hear it just from one person, but they're meeting four teammates who are all kind of showing and sharing and doing the same thing that feels way safer than like, Oh, the boss is saying that, but I don't really feel like everyone believes it. So yeah, it really has been just trying to be consistent and responsive and practice what we preach. Yeah. That's definitely a form of leadership there. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Being a boss, another way. <laughs> oh, well, Vichy, I'm really grateful for all that you shared. It seems like this has been a really rich uh, conversation about, about not just being a boss, but like the growing into and maybe out of <laughs> being a boss, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you've created a business that's a force for good and you'd like to share your story of challenge and success, go to questio.us slash podcast and click on the share my story button.